and welcome to Fantastic Beats. Three people, three tracks, we swap them and we talk about them. I'm Lizzie Maris. I'm Jack Tutor. And our brilliant guest today is Jeanette Leach. Jeanette is the author of Fearless, The Making of Post Rock, and also Seasons They Change, the story of acid and psychedelic folk. But I also want to say in her bio, which is one of the best bios I've ever read, she's a fan of <laughs> a fan of girl groups, hard ass lady funk, and novelty songs. So hi, hi. Jeanette, best guest ever. <laughs> Hello, Lizzie. Hello, Jack. And Hello. Um, I will try not to um, fall flat on myself <laughs> after that amazing introduction. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jack, do you want to kick us off today then? Yes. So, the track that I chose today is by Broadcast. It's called I Found the F. The Broadcast, a band from Birmingham, uh, consisting at the time that they released this song, I think primarily of Trish Keenan and James Cargill. And this is the first track on their album Tender Buttons, released in 2005, which is an album I picked up, I believe, around the time it came out, maybe a couple of years later, after I saw them at Supersonic Festival. And in fact, I've ne- not really checked out any other broadcast material, but it's something that is definitely on the kind of my radar to do at some point. It's kind of a bit shameful that I haven't already. But basically, this song is one of my absolute favourites, and it's a beautifully simple song. It has like two chords and just a simple driving beat. And it feels like, because it's the first track on the record, it's just rousing the instrumental palette of the album as a whole. So you've got these like really rich, uh, quite partly distorted drums. You've got bass and guitar. Um, you've got these uh, low-fidelity synthesizers, which sounds like that they're pulling heavily from old games consoles and then obviously you've got trish keenan's voice which is like smoke it's this effortless kind of half awake uh tone it's beautiful it moves in these incredibly smooth kind of unforced glides as she's going through the track and what i love about this piece of music and i think it strikes you first when you first hear it or it did for me anyway but still remains as you listen to it further is that it feels kind of deliberately incomplete it's just this one section that lasts about i don't know a minute just over that then repeats and then just peters out and that's it and it's got this one chord that holds on for what feels like far too long in my book and doesn't resolve and again just opens out and uh, I just love the way that it sets up the whole record it feels like it's withholding something but maybe that's something that then gets given to you later in the record I just think it's fabulous and lyrically as well it feels quite vague and again quite withholding I always feel like it's about sensory experience but I don't know and that's quite a nice thing that I'm still wrapping my head around this song after so many years so uh i love it lizzie what do you think yeah the intro is definitely from or inspired by and i can't place it a kid's show from like the 70s or the 80s like a bbc children's theme tune or it might go it's the the sound i'm not quite sure what that is at that beginning that that instrument or synth or whatever it is but it really made me instantly go oh this is that uh kids show intro thing okay um yeah but it's quite old it's it's got black and white in my mind i'm not sure where it's from um i really like it i really like the vocals i wrote down janice joplin kind of loose groove at the start and when you listen to some kind of festival recordings of her they've got this kind of loose groove where it's all just hanging together but it is hanging together and it really works um and her voice is kind of hazy and it sounds like 
this whole track sounds like it could be from the archives but then it kind of betrays itself because it's too clean to be authentically from any archives yeah, so you sure. know you know it's a kind of modern-ish song because is it 2000 2005 yeah yeah so um I really like that about it. It feels nostalgic. And I was thinking about the singer and I was thinking if that's if, if you're watching that singer live or you were in a room with her, she's she'd definitely be quite misty eyed. And I don't think she would look at you. I think she'd kind of look past you into right. the distance because it's kind of got that far away ethereal lack kind of quality to it but it's very nice and it's it's also present at the same time it's not kind of unknowingly so um yeah I really liked it I am just so intrigued as to what that sound is at the beginning because it seriously it was like a very visceral response to me I was like whoa childhood <laughs> uh, the, t- the tv's on this show has started so I'm really intrigued as to what that is yeah nice song Jeanette what what did you think well it was really interesting that you said um I think it's from a tv show but I don't know what it is because I don't know either and I wonder if it really is from a tv show because like the thing with that song is it feels like it's like false memories being planted in your head right somehow that there's like of course there's this kind of retro quality to it but it's also not it's kind of unsettling which is an aspect that I really like about that track and I really like about Trish and her voice as well and I (laughs) when you mentioned like a children's show from the 70s weirdly or you know the 80s or um some kind of past it was almost also like it had been beamed in from eastern europe or something mm. that it was kind of right. bounced off something or other that you like in the old days in terms of watching tv if you couldn't quite get the tuning right it would go and you'd get yeah. snow and something would come up <laughs> and it would be like this broadcast song and you would see something that you wouldn't really understand and then it would be gone again and there's that kind of wispiness to that song um which is kind of a it's it's got a rare poetry to it that I really really like and I do know broadcast work um a bit not hugely but I do know them I'm I primarily remember when they came out and when they were on warp and it was kind of a odd thing because they were a lot warmer than a lot of other bands on warp who sort of made Mm. coldness a bit of a virtue sometimes and Mm. Trish and her voice didn't they had that kind of warmth that almost came from psychedelia you felt there was that color to them that's still I think really really nice to them and I remember also that they got slated in the early days um in the press for being this kind of record collection rock which sort of stereo lab also got slammed Uh, oh okay yeah yeah but I think that's really unfair I think that's really unfair I think broadcast do something that's got a lot more value yeah. to it than just being the sum of their influences basically it's also it feels quite naive really in the world doesn't it because it's like uh, so many bands are like that i think it's if you pull from certain sounds isn't it that suddenly you get that accusation thrown at you certain mm. sounds seem like touch points in the past where it's like no there's no you can't use that without suddenly being like a a band that's looking in the rear view which is a bit unfair and it bothers me because like oh the only authentic things are if you, it's like that Jack White thing is if you do it on the first take or whatever which is like absolute 
nonsense <laughs> you know yeah. you don't get the complexity I mean sometimes you do sometimes you capture a rawness and I appreciate that but what sort of bothers me about that sort of we need it raw we need it this sort of raw emotion I think that's way too simplistic and bands like broadcast capture complexity of emotion that yes. um, bands who do it on a one take and have that as their like almost guiding ideology don't get yes Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. I think it's quite an easy thing to kind of say as well, like, oh, well, this is how we work. It's like, oh, it just so happens that that's also quicker, easier, and you don't have to put in as much work. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody wins. Yeah. yeah. Just give it some welly far for now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's go to our second track now, Jeanette. It's your track. Yes, I can't wait let's to talk go to about this, this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I picked um, "Scooter" from the Muppets, and it's a song called "There's a New Sound." So um, it's actually a cover version. Um, so the original song, this this version of the song, the Scooter version, was released in the late seventies, um, but it was a cover of a song from the nineteen fifties by this guy called Tony Borello, who was this kind of weird. He was a he was a jazz pianist. I think he was quite serious. And then he was like, right, there's no money in jazz. And he was just like, <laughs> right, I'm going to make a novelty record. And he made it and it was... What I love about novelty records, and Lizzie, you read it out of my bio, and I think I'm on a total novelty records jag at the moment, so that's why <laughs> I like I picked this, is that at their best, and I think the 50s and the early 60s in America are just like the golden era of novelty records. There's a real surrealism to them. They're not exactly kids' records, they're just weird. Mm. And there's a new sound is like one of those records. And if you listen to the original, there's definitely this kind of beatnik strangeness to it right. as well. Yeah. But I picked the Scooter version um, <laughs> because I was a huge, huge Muppets fan when I was a little girl. I had the bedspread and everything. <gasps> and those songs are still very, very dear to my heart. And the reason why I find it sort of quite lovely, really, is that Jim Henson creator of the Muppets was such a record nerd and he knew all these strange novelty records mm. so before the Muppet show there was um oh, sorry this is so nerdy there was a series <laughs> that he did called Salmon Friends which was on local tv uh, in America and it basically consisted of prototypes of the Muppets just like um, miming along to various novelty songs yeah. so at the time it was a it was a contemporary of the song There's a New Sound because it started in the mid-50s. And what I love about the Muppets is he totally kept that sensibility. He kept that weird sensibility. There was no reason why Jim Henson would have thought, oh, this will make a good thing to have this strange novelty record that no one ever remembers. And what made it even weirder is that this was only shown in the UK. This particular, <laughs> so there was like even no, in the, in the tiny cultural history it had, nobody in the UK in the 70s would have known this record. But wow. what's weird about the record is just so 
the whole thing is just there's a new sound the newest sound around it's the sound that's made by worms and that's pretty <laughs> much the whole song it's so odd it's so and it's got little sound effects of the worms and a bird and a jungle lion and i just find it utterly charming it sets off um just a lot of good childhood vibes for me but it also sets off this weird surrealism which I think is there in the best novelty records and I thought a lot of people probably wouldn't be sort of so much aware of that because the Muppets isn't shown so much anymore and no. um, people don't really know that kind of history of the Muppets they just think of it as like Miss Piggy and Kermit which is really really amazing but there's a whole musical history to the Muppets which I think is really really ripe for rediscovery so that's why I chose it. Nice. I mean, wow. Lizzie, you take on the Muppets baton here because I feel like there's a lot of great oh. enthusiasm going and you're the one to take it forward. You're right. I am <laughs> so there with you on the loving of the Muppets. So two things. I feel Sesame Street taught me everything I needed and still need to know <laughs> in my life when I was young. And I'm, I'm still working from that. And another thing, I'm so obsessed with puppets and indeed the Muppets every time I hear like a sort of a uh, background chorus piece in a song in my mind the chickens are singing it <laughs> oh yeah and they're swaying left to right and they're they're singing it so I mean that's that's how far this goes so I was absolutely delighted when you picked this because <laughs> I hadn't heard it and everything you said so much better than I could was just so bang on like that the, the Muppets were so well researched and everything they did was even though it looks so silly and playful, there's so much intent in everything they do. And there's so much knowing parody and there's so much, we know why this is funny and it's funny to about 10 people on the set, but actually it translates quite nicely at home because it's funny animals. So yeah, I just absolutely love this song. I thought it's quite a fast song for, for a puppet to, to be able to like, you know, like it's quite ambitious because he's got to mouth those words. So I thought it was quite fast for a poor old scooter, um, but he does well. Um, yeah, I love the lion and the bird features, which is that real kind of like trope of Muppet songs of like, mm. there'll be a kind of lead singer and then something will pop in from the left and pop in from the right. Mm. That's kind of how it has to be. And then they disappear and then they come back. So you kind of get used to them. Um, <laughs> I particularly, it's not really about the song, but I particularly enjoyed, uh, um, enjoyed the video, the, the video for this, because it's just the set. It's basically just a black tarp over some boxes with some holes <laughs> for the worms. Like there's nothing more to it. And I just I love that. And I really like the worm breakdown, actually, like at the at the end when it kind of like focuses on the sounds of the worms. It kind of sounds a bit like manic laughing, really. Right. Um, yeah. 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 It's, like, it's like the Strangler song we talked about, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. What were you going to say, Jeanette? What were you going to... Well, first, that's the first time the Muppets and the Stranglers might have had a comparison. So <laughs> my absolute hats go off to you. But that sort of whole um, charming amateurishness of the Muppets is just like... I just absolutely adore that. The, the, the idea that things are just sort of... Um, it's totally the spirit in which Jim Henson started it. So it was literally, he wanted to get into show business and he put on um, a sort of sock, cut a ping pong ball in half and there was Kermit and he named it Kermit. And he did that on his table in his teens. And it was just like that spirit, even though like a lot of other stuff obviously happened, it got a lot more sophisticated, but it was just like, it's just beautiful it's just totally beautiful and you're right like it doesn't get played a lot now like i know there's like a modern version of sesame street and things but the actual muppet is in the muppet show like they bring out the odd film and stuff but the actual sort of like 
series of the show you're right it's really hard it, you know it's just not really on um and this this kind of the narrative's taken a bit of a weird turn now hasn't it like aren't miss piggy and kermit supposed to be divorced or something or I've like got no time for that no i, I no know i'm like no but they work backstage on the show together and the muppet show and then it's chaos and then they say but that's what they do so yeah i just thought this was an amazing song and i implore everybody to look this up what would they search for on youtube to find this is it just uh, Muppets, there's a new sound. Yeah, yeah. We'll put a link I, in as well. We'll put a link in, yeah, do it. Um, Jack, because yeah. me and Jack, I will say, me and Jack don't... I think you did have the Muppets in Sesame Street, but possibly not as much in your life. No, not really. And that's the thing. I think it sounds like that that childhood connection is really important because I, I don't feel like I have gone back to explore the Muppets. I'm aware that Lizzie's super into the Muppets. And I feel like that there is something there. And I think if I had that thread going back, I probably would be all over it, but I don't. But this was... I, I had a great time with this. And I think th <laughs> things like this give me an insight into the fact that the Muppets has so much going on which is more than just entertaining kids I mean as you say plucking this novelty song out from nowhere and plonking it in front of people I mean it's an utterly like nonsense like wonderful two minutes uh, <laughs> my, my, my favourite bits I have favourite bits and I have bits that unsettle me so my favourite bits are the fact that the bird and the lion when they come in uh, they don't change like the, the, the tone of their interjections are the same like you, there could have been comedic value <laughs> in doing something different but I think there's more comedic value in sticking to like the, the sheer simplicity the raw simplicity of the novelty song by just barking like in the <laughs> exact same tone every time it also reminds me of on the new Alan Partridge there's a point where Alan barks like a dog at his co-host and scares her <laughs> <laughs> which is <Yeah. laughs> it felt exactly like that anytime the line came in which is great um I was unsettled by the sight of uh, worms made of felt, like that when they started pushing up through the set. Um, something about that texture which uh, really set my stomach on edge. But that's on me. Uh, and obviously, it's a visual thing as well, so not in the song. I also just think as well, uh, and, and this seems to be, uh, and again, you'll know more about this than I do, but in the song, I mean, obviously it's got this repetitious nature and it feels like it's kind of getting more intense. I mean, obviously it's rising in pitch every time they repeat it and the worms are coming out the woodwork like more and more and getting louder and louder. And when Muppets like stop doing their thing, they do... Uh, you know their song or whatever they do this thing where they nod and smile in quite a frantic way which always looks like a cry <laughs> for help to me and I felt particularly when he's covered in worms at the end it felt like you know obviously you know delighted that he's finished the song but also like a help me kind of vibe <laughs> which I but but and it was almost like that through this novelty song which feels quite innocuous and quite inane it has this chant like quality because you're saying the same thing mm. over and over it's like you'd summoned the worms out of the earth and was like I'm in, in, in over my head here uh, that's what it felt like to me so I I thought it was I got a lot out of it basically. Excellent and, and like worms, it's it's about death and decay right. as well. Yes. So like yes. at the start of the song in the sketch, there's like two um, puppets overground, and like they're having a nice picnic, and then you go underground, and there's Scooter and the worms, and they're all taking over. Yes. You know, it's it's like it's like um and bear with me here. It's like one of those Renaissance portraits where you've got a skull <laughs> in the corner. Yes. It's like you are gone, mate. <laughs> you know, give it, give it fifty years. You are gone. We are all dust in the wind. 
Yes. But that's the no. that's the best thing about about specifically the Muppet Show and a little bit of Sesame Street as well. You watch it back now and you're like, "Whoa, that's harsh." Mm. Right. I know there's there's a certain scene where Big Bird is telling uh, a, a kid tries no Big Bird <laughs> tries to cross the road um, <laughs> yeah. and it isn't it isn't at the lights and one of the characters <laughs> is like, so "Big Bird, what are you doing?" And he's like, "Oh well, you know, I was just crossing the road." And he's like, "I'll remember to look next time." And the character goes, "Might not be a next time." <laughs> and it's, it's, it's dark so and it's serious. Mm. And but the Muppets has always had that. It's never ever been sugary. Yeah. It's always been real. But the, you can tell the people behind it just have this a very pure sense of comedy and what was what was funny. And they didn't need funny to be the same yeah. as nice. Yes. Like, I, yeah. I also like as well going back to the origin of this song. Obviously, as you said, Jeanette, it was like people trying to make serious music and getting annoyed that novelty songs songs that were deliberately bad were getting more traction i love the idea that the new sound like the new thing that everyone's listening to is the sound of worms like the <laughs> lowest form of sound mm. in a sort of you know it's, it's like a little jibe at, at popular music it felt like as well which is nice see i hadn't even made that connection but that's that might actually be very very true as yeah. well you know it's, it's i think tony borello the songwriter was you know a super smart man so i'm sure there was like a sort of sense of despair about yeah. it as well which is maybe carried through all of these versions as well absolutely hey, who, knew, who knew this recommendation would go into death and despair but hey. <laughs> that's the wonder of the muppets apparently it's- been one of my favourites of the whole podcast ever. So, what <laughs> an accolade! Yeah. Wow. There's a new sound, the newest sound around, the strangest sound that you have ever heard. Not like a wild boar or a jungle lion's roar. It isn't like the cry of any bird. But there's a new sound. It's deep down in the ground, and everyone who listens to it squirms because it's new, new sound. So deep down in the ground is the sound that's made by worms. There's a new sound, the newest sound. Well, we've got one more track, and Lizzie, it's yours. Yeah, so my track is uh, the Joubert Singers. I hope I'm saying that correctly. It's called Stand on the Word. Uh, this is the, I've got to say this, it's the original version from 1985. There is a version from 1982, and I think people that are really into this particular song get quite particular about, well, there's that version and there's this version. So if you're looking it up, I'm looking at the 1985 version. Um, doesn't mean a lot to me, but I think it will to, to <laughs> very few people. Um, right, so this is a, really funky uh, religious song it starts with this kind of lovely jangly high piano intro and then some organ comes in and then a choir comes in and then and, and until that point you think okay so this has connotations of being uh, uh, some some religious music something that's quite uplifting and upbeat but then the bass kind of comes in and betrays the whole thing and you're like this is a funk song <laughs> <laughs> um, so it just goes into this uh really really catchy song which you are singing away because you know it is funky it's got drums it's got really really like lovely bass and it's got this kind of like uh i want to say like almost like honky piano but but not quite um and it's got some synths in there as well um i think bongos at some point so you're singing along and having this really lovely funky time and then you're kind of like 
wait, what are they saying? Because you realise it's a choir. <laughs> and actually the lyrics are things like, we must not question the good Lord. And then they go on to say, like, we don't know how, we don't know when, but you, you mu- we must not question the Lord. And then you sort of go, oh, okay. <laughs> um, now, I'm not a religious person, so I find that a little bit unsettling because I am having a funky old time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, no, I think, it's, I think it's just a really well put together song. And I think when they made this song, they got it so right because it's that really explosive combo of sort of unwielding gospel and, and faith music, which makes you want to kind of, you know, there's something innate in you that wants to make you get up and sing and go, yeah, and, and you know, feel something, or feel a religion or a, or a higher level with you know it's got the dna of a, of a funk song which no one can resist in the world ever so what you've got is a kind of really strong arsenal of, of musical tricks coming at you and before you know it you're singing about not questioning the lord um <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like you've been tricked so, yeah <laughs> and i think i think it's a great song i this came to my attention because it i caught a snippet of it, a snippet of it on um bbc radio one a few weeks ago and i think ah. there's been quite a few djs recently and, and in the past that have remixed it i think it's on a just east track as well a little bit so i think over the years it has been used in certain things but i found it really nice to kind of go back to the original and listen to it because this is a really strong song Mm. um so strong you won't know what you're doing um (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's my song Jeanette what what did you think to this one well i agree with you i think it is an incredibly strong song i think it's um got a, a beauty and a grace to it as well as the funk which makes it sort of quite finely balanced And I don't think that only comes from the lyrics. I think that comes from, yeah, the sort of, you know, honking piano, pounding piano. But there's a, there's just, this sounds like a contradiction in terms, but there's there's a delicacy to it as well, mm. which I find, because it, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's very, very graceful and beautiful as well as being very, very funky as well. And... I think that one of the things I really liked about the song is, you know, it's it's funk, it's disco, it's gospel, and it makes the kind of distinctions between them kind of meaningless. (laughs) And Hmm. the other thing that I found, because I'd not heard of it, I'd not heard of it before you recommended it, Lizzie, which I felt a little bit ashamed because I did think I knew quite a lot of disco stuff and I didn't know this at all. Mm. And um, so I was very, very, I was very, very happy to find it. And I sort of found out that it was sort of originally this kind of private press thing, which a lot of religious records are. Yes. And the great thing about when you find these is, uh, this is what sort of crate diggers love, isn't it? These kind of vanity presses that are just pressed in some kind of sh- suburb of Chicago. And yes. And find it and they just like just cream all over it and it's really really great um and when it's brought to the wider the wider world like this the other thing that's really cool about these private presses is um so you mentioned that i wrote this book seasons they change about sort of folk and psychedelic music Mm. one of the things that you'd see there was a lot of private presses like the late 70s doing sort of folk versions of christian stuff they would press 99 copies to get around the tax laws and stuff Ah. like that and all of these things they sounded like they were made almost like four years earlier and to a certain extent this does as well you know it sounds like solidly 1978 when it was later but that kind of adds to the charm of it a little bit that 
it's just sort of a little bit out of time but it's still so beautiful it's so heartfelt and the nearest thing I could think that it reminded me of um, from a gospel and a really irresistible point of view was um, about sort of in the late 90s there was this track um, this pop song Shackles Praise You by Mary Mary I don't know if either of you no, remember it I don't know no, I you should so. look it up. You should look yeah. it up. It was one of the best singles of that year. I think it was 99. I think it was 99. I told you I like girl groups. They were two sisters, London, I think. And it was just this really joyous um, gospel song, which sounded solidly in the pop of the day, or maybe a few years earlier. And um, you will listen to it and you will have the same experience. Like I'm, I'm singing Ooh. about sort of getting rid of the shackles and I just want to praise you. And before you realise <laughs> it, you're just like completely off on a devotational devotional tip <laughs> without any inner feeling <laughs> just like the, the sort of I want that. desire I want that to move <laughs> and things like that so yeah um that was the nearest thing that I could think to sort of um compare it to and I absolutely loved it and I will just yeah listen to it <laughs> frequently from now on I think because it's a really really solid track oh I love it when that hey. happens on this podcast because I'm now going to check out that Mary Mary song because that sounds really good and this is the nicest thing about this is you suddenly be, you find these songs the way you're like how have I gone 30 years on this planet and this has not come to me like yeah. this, you know you need other people to do some work for you don't you it's, yeah <laughs> absolutely it's, it's brilliant <laughs> Jack what, what did you make of it are you standing on the word yeah I'm standing on top of it as well if there's room uh, I mean <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got obviously you you guys both uh, give a wonderful recap there I think of why it's such a sweet song and uh, I, I mean I love yeah this kind of slide and snap of the piano the way that that kind of jags out the beat that's brilliant and obviously it's, it feels like a big part of why it's such dance floor fuel is the fact that that piano is really doing a lot of work um, love the vocals I think the harmony that comes in uh, to begin with where it's just that big old uh, vowel uh, that just hangs there and then there's other vocals like coming in as well where it's got that ooh like at the start is really cool it's quite a, a strange effect like the harmonies are just completely like oblivious to to what the like the other vocals are doing and I, I, I also really like as well the fact that the vocals feel like that they've got a really strong echo on them that isn't really present on anything else in the track and it did feel like almost like a, a church echo and it comes in in particular when it just goes down to one voice and I, I don't know I mean do we know is was it any of it recorded in a, in a church at all is that clear don't know it I didn't, it wasn't clear in my research but it would be a good guess yeah I mean it felt yeah it, yeah, it certainly felt like it uh, which I felt like it, it really came through on headphones but I think also it probably contributes quite nicely to the energy of the track as a whole and it's kind of bizarre that it sounds so cohesive when you've got like big old church echo and then a band that sounds like they're all jamming it out in close quarters mm -hmm. which is yeah. really cool what I love is, I mean, we talked about, obviously, the, I was going to say devotional slant, but obviously it's all very devotional, this song. But you've got uh, a kind of descending motif where you've got the da 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 and then you've got the chorus which kind of goes up where it's like na 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 da da which I really like. You've got this pulling down and also this transporting upward as well, which felt like quite a nice element in a song about religion and spirituality and, mm. you know, the energies up there which yeah i thought was fabulous there is definitely a sense that the song's kind of climbing out of itself <laughs> Lo yeah love it i had never heard this song before 
I love its weird relationship with space, like I said. And yeah, I mean, I would definitely listen to this again. I think it holds up over a car stereo and headphones equally as well, which is fabulous. Yeah, I mean, I'm, in, I'm intrigued that it was on Radio 1 a few weeks ago, which is how it came to my attention, because it must be about to be in somebody's remix mm. or something. I right. wonder whether this is about to become quite big or... I, I can't remember who was playing. It might have been Annie Mack. And I think she was just talking about how much she plays it as like a bit of a floor filler at the start of the night. Okay. Um, yeah, but I just, it does make me wonder whether it's, it's coming to us soon in a different format. Mm. <laughs> mm, Radio One, yeah. I mean, you, you might expect to hear this, um, not wishing to put things in silos, but you might w- sort of expect to hear this more on Six Music. Yes. Rather yes. than Radio exactly. One. Totally, yeah. So yeah, because I always I almost thought it was because we have the sort of rule is we have six music on in the house and then in my car I have Radio One because I like the kind of inaneness <laughs> of it just to dr- no it helps me drive better because it's just kind of it's simple <laughs> so it was definitely Radio One which yeah you're so right it does sound like maybe like one of the Sunday morning shows where it's a real <laughs> kind of like obscurity that comes out but yeah it's a, I don't know it, we the thing is I think me and Jack it's difficult because when we do this podcast we have the this rule where we do not speak to each other about the tracks before we come on the podcast because that's where all the good stuff needs to be but it's been very hard because both of us have been singing this song for the last kind of few days <laughs> yeah substituting um, <laughs> our, our, our cat's name in with the with the, with lord. the lord and stuff like that yeah so you know There's as a lot per of every single there, song possibly yes yeah, yeah no, that's probably not great in some people's eyes but hey what's your cat's name maggie maggie mags oh. Yeah. Mag Magpus. Yeah. Really. <laughs> lot, lot of options there, really. Yeah. You yeah, it, it can al- almost fit into any song. Exactly. It, it can. Well, I was just thinking, you know, if she's into the Muppets, she'll get the Magpus thing. So, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's Jeanette, thank you so much for coming and speaking about these tracks with us. This has been thoroughly thank enlightening. Thank you. And you, as Lizzie mentioned, have written some books, some wonderful books. Uh, so Fearless, The Making of Post Rock, and also Seasons They Change, the story of acid mm-hmm. and psychedelic folk. So people are, are interested in checking out those books uh, and keeping up to speed with what you're doing as well. Where's the best place for them to be, be headed? Um, you can either go to my Twitter, which is uh, just Jeanette Leach, and you will find me. Or um, if for more info on my books, my publisher is Jawbone, who've put both of them out, um, Jawbone Press. And again, you can just find them very, very easily online. And um, yeah, they're both great. And so you should read them. Cool. Nice. They absolutely are. <laughs> I worked really hard on them, and you should read them. <laughs> Absol- no, absolutely. And, you know, if they're anywhere as near as eloquent and it's everything you've just said then everybody needs to be getting these books now (laughs) (laughs) this has been brilliant so jack where can people find out more about us and the podcast yeah so people can go to the podcast website which is fantasticbeatspodcast.com we're on twitter at fantastic underscore pod and you can send us an email at hello at fantasticbeatspodcast.com awesome this has been great. You've all been great. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.